Welcome to Witch Talks, a series for spiritual seekers, witches, and enlightened souls. I'm Hannah the Suburban Witch, an intuitive tarot reader, astrologer, and eclectic witch, and I hope you're ready to get up close and personal with your favorite witches. In this episode, I'm chatting with Vincent Higginbotham, who is a leading expert in using transformative magic to help cope and deal with abuse, poverty, and trauma. He is the author of How Witchcraft Saved My Life, which he wrote after a decade of living on the streets. I'm so looking forward to sharing Vincent's work and wisdom with you today. So let's get into it. Vin is joining us via Zoom all the way from South Carolina. Hey, Vincent, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So great to have you here. Now, I'm sure you do so much more than this too. So do you want to start off by telling us a little bit more about the work that you do in the witchy world? Um, Yeah, I mean, so aside from writing, I have basically aligned myself with the Witch With Me community. Um, That's like the witch work that I want to be a part of. Um, I help run a book club there. I mean, I run the book club uh, over there and like book people and set them up and do all kinds of stuff. And um, I hope to be starting some more things with them in the near future. But outside of writing books and sometimes book reviews, I just run a book club. Like I don't do, I just, you know, have my own little practice. I don't really do much outside of that. That's totally fine. Now, before we get into the rest of our chat, I do want to take a squidgery dig at your birth chart. So you are a triple fire. This means your sun, moon and rising sign are all fire signs, which makes you confident, inspiring and can be opinionated as well. You have strong leadership abilities and are exciting to be around. But just like the element of fire, you can be harnessed into helpful energy or flame up and cause destruction. So that's the two sides of that. Yeah. Now, your rising and moon sign are both in Sagittarius, which falls into your first house. So what does this mean? As a Sagittarius rising, pushing limits, staying outside of the comfort zone, that's part of what you're here to do, whether that's for yourself or how you help others do that as well. It's an expansive placement, meaning that what you do for work or what you do, uh, your role that you're here to play in society will help you and other people to grow further into their potential. And I think we can see that with your book as well. Now, with your moon in Sagittarius, this means you need to feel like you have the freedom to explore. But being in the first house, this means sometimes your emotions can literally be tied to how you believe others perceive you. Now, this means developing a strong and resilient sense of self-worth is really critical for you. And the really interesting thing, knowing about some of your story, and I don't know all of it, so I'm really excited to, to, to hear you share that, but your son is in Aries in the fourth house. So son and Aries people, they express themselves the best when you know, you're, expi- you're inspiring others to take action on their ideas or on your ideas. But being in the fourth house, this is ruled by home and family. And this usually tells me that you need to have a sense of safety and stability in your home life in order to fully express yourself. So if there's, you know, uncertainty around where you're living, which obviously you've experienced, that's going to really affect your ability to express yourself authentically. So how does that sort of feel to you? So I can definitely say that um, that resonates with me. Um, I've always been this really creative person who, like, I just naturally exceed bounds. And so I really feel like my son, or I'm sorry, my uh, moon and ascendant being in Sagittarius really plays to that. I also find that I'm constantly trying to lift other people up to that place also. Like, I want to help other people exceed because I really believe in that kind of helping people um, aspect of things. And so that super resonates, but then actually the sun in the fourth house is a little bit new information to me. And you had mentioned it to me before we came on and we're like, that's really fascinating. I was like, I don't even know what you mean. Like, tell me why. And you're like, well, because, and then you explained what you just explained about like needing stability. And so it's interesting because my creativity definitely requires stability. When I was homeless, I, you know, kept a journal and wrote in a book every day, but I could never have written a book, you know, and it wasn't until I started college and I had a permanent residence because of dormitories that I was able to explore my artistic side as like a visual artist. And, um, and then when everything was calmed down after school and like I wasn't crazy and I wasn't struggling in life anymore, I came back to writing. 
And suddenly once everything was super smooth and, and able to be managed and I knew where all the shots were coming from, you know, I was able to like focus everything in and write a book. And presently I'm working on a second one because it's still kind of that situation. Ironically though, I have not done much visual art because of that. Mm -hmm. So is that what you studied at university? Did you study the arts? I studied visual arts. I got a degree in industrial design. Fantastic. I too uh, studied the arts, but interior design, which I did yes. kind of end up working in. I was in the building industry for anyone who knows my story. Obviously, I've done a total 180 now, but <laughs> those skills are still there <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. 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 So you're familiar with CADs and stuff. Yes. Yeah. Yes. A little bit. Yeah. It's uh, It's been a while. It's been a while. Yeah. Now let's get straight into it. So you had a pretty tough time a few years ago. Can can you tell us a little bit about that? So when you say a few years ago, I say like, I feel like it's been almost a decade at this point. Like I'm 40 and I feel like the really hard times kind of stopped around 33, 34. So like that feels like a forever ago <laughs> now, but I guess it wasn't like, um, I don't know. I think that, I think what you're, what you're bringing up is that like, I was homeless from 15 until like 25. And throughout all of that, I struggled with a lot of things that were poverty driven, but also like what kept me in the situation of being homeless too. And there was a lot of like depression and, um, some drug usage, but not like I've never, I would never call myself an addict except for cigarettes. Like I've never had a drug problem. I just used a lot of drugs because I was sad. <laughs> and yeah, they're, um, they're a coping mechanism. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so like I went through all that for quite a while until I got myself into college at 25. And then you know, there was still a lot of struggling and still like depression and suicide attempts and different things like that. Um, and then I, I got like a disease during that time too. And then right at my return of Saturn, um, so like from 28 to 30, I literally like knew what was coming. I knew about the return to Saturn and I was like, let me be prepared. So I'm graduating college. I just got this like lifelong disease that I'm going to have to deal with forever. And, um, I don't know what I'm going to do, but like, I haven't been homeless because of college. So is that going to stay the way when I'm not in college anymore? I was going through all this shit. And, um, and then like it all culminated after like about three or four years with another suicide attempt. And then it was like, that's when the chrysalis broke and this new, kind of me emerge and I was like oh I want to have a family and I, I like I like living and this is cool we can do this like I'm gonna move to a slower pace so I left the city I moved to the country I mean I I call it the country but now that like I live where I live it's even more country than it was when I just first moved down to South Carolina because I was living in Philadelphia at the time which is like the fifth largest city in America um, so like, and I'm from Philadelphia, so I always kind of go back there, but, um, I left all of that and I came here for like the slower pace and everything. And then I met my husband who like brought in my kids. And then like, now we live on a plot of land and we're basically like homesteading in a cabin that we built, um, out of a shed and just like, things are normal. And now I'm writing books. Like, it's really weird, actually, because it was just like, doop, doop. Like, it just shifted. Like, it's like I stepped into an alternate reality out of nowhere, which sounds is like, great. It sounds like everything just happened to fall into place really beautifully yeah. after so long of struggling, which is amazing for that to happen. And it sounds really beautiful. I want to go live on a homestead. <laughs> <sighs> You could. I mean, it's not hard. Like there's places, there's places for it. There's got to be some in Australia. There is, but as a military yeah. family, we don't get a lot of uh, say in where we live or how long mm. we live there. So. For now. For, for now. now. Exactly. Yeah. Future, future Hannah will have a homestead and it will be beautiful. There you go. Perfect. <laughs> Now, with being homeless for so long, and that is a long, long amount of time, mm -hmm. what did you find with some of the biggest misconceptions about this whilst you were homeless? And then what people have in terms of misconceptions now that you're not? 
when I was homeless, I think that, I don't know, like society definitely viewed me differently because I used to get pulled over, like stopped a lot. Like I wasn't driving. I was walking down the street and I get stopped by cops like all the time. I never knew like what that was about. Like, why was I drawing them in? Why were they wanting to stop me? Cause I wasn't doing anything wrong when they'd stop me. So that was like this really weird thing. And it wasn't like I appeared homeless ever because I wasn't like a cart lady or a bag person, like walking around with all my stuff. I always had like, you know, I'd like stash things places or like there's a friend's house where I keep my clothes and I go off and do a thing and then come home, like come through during the day, you know, whatever. But like, it was weird. And then now I think that the difference is, is that now that I'm not this like street urchin surviving person, I feel like society views me as, as like, like made of snow or something like as if I melt easy or can be taken advantage of quickly. And like, you don't go from living on the streets to not living on the streets by being a dummy or by being like bullied or pushed over or, you know, taken advantage of very easily. So like, I don't know. I feel like that's probably the biggest misconception that I, that people have of me now is that I can be easily snowballed, mm-hmm. I guess. And does it feel like people potentially when they find out that you have been homeless or that you were homeless, do they, does it feel like they might be judging you for that? Or does it feel like people are really open and understanding these days? Like what's been your experience? Um, I'll be honest. Like, I don't know anybody that I've ever been, that I've ever felt like they were judging me for being homeless, even while I was homeless. So like, I mean, strangers, yes, but people that I genuinely know, I've never felt like anyone was like, oh, you're a piece of shit or anything like that. I don't know if I can curse on your show. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but like, I don't know. I don't ever feel that from people, but I'm pretty, I'm pretty um, resistant to the people that I let in. Like, I don't just let anybody close enough to know me. Um, what I present to the world that people get to see is is not the whole, you know what I mean? And so I feel like that person that people see, like, I don't care what they think about mm-hmm. that person because like, they're not, I mean, I'm happy and I, I want to interact with them and I'm happy that they like me or whatever. But the the me that I want, to share with people, it doesn't get shared with many people, if that makes sense. Um, because you gotta be guarded. I think like, I, I think that that's something that I learned about people being homeless is that like dirty old men will take advantage of you and Christians will take advantage of you. And like, people will all try. And then like, you kind of have to go through all these like trial and errors to not let that happen later. So like at 40 now I'm like, "Mm, you're talking a little bit too much about God to me, bro. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. know if I can let you any closer. Like you're cool. Like you can stay there. We can be eye to eye. We're good. Mm -hmm. I can accept everyone for where they're at, but I'm also going to keep you just far enough away that you don't get to touch me, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think that because I've learned to guard myself from people, mostly, um, those people don't exist in my life where they would be judging me, if that makes sense. Sounds like you have some pretty clear boundaries, which is a hard skill to learn. And you've obviously learned that the hard way, but it's a good thing to have as well. I think it's the first thing I learned. So like when I was a child, I used to see shadow people. Um, in fact, I talk about this in the book, like, um, it was the devil in new Orleans that walked on my windowsill and it was like the shadow person. And then it really scared me and I didn't like it. And I told it to go away and it went away. And I was like, Oh, and then I started seeing like shadow people, like traditional, like out of the corner of my eye turn and they're gone. Like the same story a lot of people have. And that drove me crazy and really like messed with my head. And so somebody was like, you can tell them to go away. And I was like, Oh, and I did. And they did. And then I was like, cool. Like I definitely have the ability to say no. And like, 
I put the no on all kinds of stuff now. Like I've learned to use the power of just simply no. In fact, I just made a reel about that today because I think it's a whole, like I saw somewhere that somebody was like, no is a spell. And I was like, no is a spell. Like it really is. Like Mm -hmm. here's my boundary and here's my empowerment and here's my inspiration and here's my, you know, protection. And it just is. And so understanding that no kind of boundary is this phenomenal experience because it's almost like, I really don't care what you throw at me because once I decide no, you know what I mean? Then I can protect myself from it. Absolutely. And no is a complete sentence as well. I think we often, get, we yes. often get into this habit of no, because, and, you know, I can't do that. Oh, because I've got, and we start explaining it, which takes away from yeah. the power of no. Absolutely. Yeah, I definitely, um, I definitely said that in my reel today too. Actually, I was like, it's a spell, <laughs> it's a word. No, it's a complete sentence. Um, mm-hmm. I curse. When I showed my husband this morning, he goes, what's up with the profanity? Cause I cursed in it twice. And I was like, just felt right at the moment. Like, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't have to curse all the time, but I do it from this visceral place because I feel like curse, like what we call curse words, I think are curses, but mm-hmm. they're like, like if I'm like, can I curse on your show? Is this <laughs> going to get you? Can, I think with potentially with iTunes, I might have to adjust the uh, level at, of this episode, but I can do that. So yeah, go for it. Okay. Just, all right. Little um, ears. If there's any little ears, if this is the cursory warning, yeah. if anyone has kids in the <laughs> car, maybe put your headphones Sorry. on. <laughs> yeah. Or just like pause for a second. Yeah, um, go I'm, ahead. Be yourself. Yes. Yeah. So like the word like fuck, right? Like it has all of these connotations. And so when I'm saying it in terms of like sexual, like innuendo, that's not a curse. But when I'm like, fuck this shit. You know, that's a curse. Like I am like cursing something out. And I just think that like, you know, all of our curse words work like that because there are curse words that can be on TV now, like the word bitch. And I think ass, like these words that have other connotations and other meanings can be said on TV, even in their curse form. And so like when you're, I think that the whole point of why they're called curses and curse words is because you are kind of like, shaming the situation or cursing the situation I don't know how I got on to that but that's <laughs> where we went I'm sorry <laughs> that's okay don't apologize I think it's very useful information to some people that may not have ever considered the power behind their words and not so right. much as in we often hear you know your words have power as in they can impact other people yes they can but your words have power that's why a lot yeah. of spells are incantations that's why spelling yeah. is a spell writing things down is a way of manifesting and bringing something out so your words uh, grammar is where grimoire comes from or yeah and like so, spell and spell yeah 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 that's exactly where I was gonna go there too yeah. <laughs> once you started saying it, I'm like isn't it weird that like literally the words that we use to talk about magical things like are born out of words that have to do with with making words Mm -hmm. and whether they're like writing them out or speaking them or what like it all comes from that and it's very interesting that in the common tongue um I don't know if English is the common tongue I shouldn't say that but um it is on Game of Thrones evidently which I'm just learning but um like I think it's just interesting how those things work because I don't know any other languages, but I don't know if like, I don't know the word for a grimoire in another language. I just wonder uh, if it also comes from... a 100%. I do speak some Spanish, but I can't say I've ever learned the word grimoire. Uh, I did teach myself Spanish by reading Harry Potter in Spanish, so I know some magical okay. words in that regard. <laughs> Wait, do you know Harry Potter that well that you can like read it in Spanish and know what's going on? Yes. So when I was traveling throughout South America and I was, I was living in a very remote part of the Amazon working with animals in an animal rescue center. And I wanted to be able to speak fluent Spanish. That was my goal. And I didn't have any of these fancy computer systems like Rosetta Stone or what's now Duolingo out there. That wasn't around. This is 10 years ago now. And so I had to use what I had, which was I had read Harry Potter every year since I was deemed allowed by my parents. So from the age of 
16 onwards once we left the church. And so I knew this book really well. And the people I was staying with said, you know, we have this book, it's in Spanish, but give it a go. So I sat there with Harry Potter in Spanish and a little pocket dictionary. That was all I had and a little notebook. And anytime I came across a word, I didn't know I would write it down. And if I couldn't find it in my dictionary, things like goblin were not in there, which is duende. Uh, I would go and ask the people that I was staying with and say, what could this word be? And they'd sort of try and help me through it. And then suddenly I realized I wasn't referring to my notebook or my dictionary anymore. And I was just reading Harry Potter and I knew enough to be able to piece everything together and paint this picture in my mind. So it was super helpful. There's your hot language tip out there, everyone. And now I can see all these amazing references, knowing Spanish and seeing the Latin parts of that as well. When I'm looking at things like the influences of each day, the planetary influences, Monday is lunes, which is lunar energy. It's moon day, Monday, the moon, like it, it all makes sense, you know? So huh. Wednesday is ruled by Mercury. And in Spanish, Wednesday is called miércoles, which is similar to Mercury. So you get this really uh, other layer when you know at least one of those sort of Latin-based uh, languages. It can be really interesting to then delve into That's awesome. Mm. That's so awesome. Because I was always like, well, Wednesday doesn't sound anything like Mercury or Hermes. <laughs> like, why is it, why does mm. this have, but it makes more sense in another language. Well, I don't mm. know any other language. I mean, I know bits and pieces. Of, I can give my dog's command in German. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I can speak kitchen Spanish. So like, I don't know if that's like a slur or not, but like, I know enough Spanish to get by in a kitchen with (laughs) only Spanish speaking people. Like I know how to like get the utensils and the silverware and certain foods. And like, I know how to like, cause I was, I was a server forever. Like the whole Mm -hmm. time I was homeless, I was serving food most of the time, not the whole time, but like, I've always served food to like make money. So, um, like I learned a lot of what everyone in the industry seems to call kitchen Spanish. Like I know how to ask for, I think como se dice is how do you say? So that's how, how I learned say? all of the Spanish words that I know. And yeah. um, anytime I'm around anyone who's Spanish speaking, I'll just like, you know, make sure it's okay if I ask. And if they're like, yeah, I'll be like, como se dice this, como se dice that. So that, and then I'd say it back and then I'd be like, how do I tell you that I need that? <laughs> and they'd like teach me little things. And so like, I don't know how much I've retained, but I, I know a little Spanish. I feel like everybody should know a little Spanish. It's a very, very in 2021. Not yeah. so much here in Australia. I can't say it served me very well here. Uh, although okay. there was a, I had a friend who had a backpacker that was stranded and they only spoke Spanish. Uh, and she called me up and said, can you please house this guy until we can find him a flight home? <laughs> no one can understand him. So we had a, a random Chilean backpacker that stayed with us for a couple of weeks. Uh, so that came Stop. in handy then. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I interrupt your listening pleasure to ask you if you're enjoying this podcast. I ask because this series is a labor of love. And if you like what you're hearing, consider signing up as a Patreon supporter to see its continued success. Not only will you receive exclusive access to my private Facebook group, but also monthly live readings and moon ritual worksheets. Head over to patreon.com forward slash suburban witchery to sign up now. And now back to the show. Yes. All right. Now back to, so you went through this time of obviously living on, on the streets. Now, did you find witchcraft during that time or like how, whereabouts on that journey in your life? So witchcraft was like always kind of there in the background when I was like eight, I, I was maybe 11. I don't know when I was before puberty, I caught my sister burning something in the backyard and then because I'm sneaky and you know suspicious um I needed to go through all of her stuff only to find like a love spells book and so I was like oh my sister's like doing some magic and I was like I want to know more about magic and I've always been interested in magic like I really wanted to like be clairvoyant or you know be Matilda from (laughs) that book Matilda um Mm -hmm. But like, or like, I just, I love comic books. So I wanted to be like an X-Men. I wanted to be special. So I was like, oh, maybe this is how. And so I explored it a little bit at that time, but I was young and didn't fully, you know, grasp everything. So then as I grew up, I, I kept 
meeting witches in my life. Like I, I kind of fell out of, I gave up or I um, got clean off of like Catholicism, Christianity, and um, like met witchcraft again at that point from a friend and her mom who like taught me a bit about it, but I wasn't, I, I never practiced. Like I learned a lot about witchcraft while homeless and everything that I know today is informed by those times too. Like not only cause I've learned a lot not being homeless too, but every time I had like a really hard time, there was a witch present. And it, it wasn't even until I wrote this book that I saw it. <laughs> like I never realized it until I was writing this book and I was like, Oh, all of these really big traumatic moments, like there's a witch friend there who's like helping me. And so having written the book, I understood my own path better. And I mean, like I had already been practicing for, I haven't been practicing long. I haven't called myself a witch for very long at all. I started calling myself a witch at like, I don't know, mid thirties. And um, prior to that, I mean, I was casting spells and doing things occasionally didn't know what I was doing. I wasn't well-informed and it really wasn't until I was like, I am going to call myself a witch and what I'm going to do is a whole ritual and I'm going to call it in. And at no point was any of it about like frivolous crap, like money or, you know, trying to win the lottery or stupid things like that. It was about calling power to myself. And that's the first time I really felt it happen. And then I was like, yeah, I'm a witch. And from there, like, you know, I made the same like mistakes. I think all like really early witches do. And I was like, oh, well, really going to try to do this like abundance money spell, whatever. Right. But like money spells don't work for me. And I don't know if that's the case for all witches. It probably isn't. But for me, that's not my path. Like to make obscene amounts of money is not my path. Like my path is very much to be comfortable and I'll get there and to have my name the way I want to have my name in the long run. But like, I'm not here to just like have money. That's not the point. I'm here to deliver a message as far as I can and to live comfortably enough in order to just focus on that message and getting it out there. So like, as I started to learn to work toward those things and, and called those called the aspects of my life forward that needed those things, like write a book or like, you know, meet people or figure social media out, whatever. Right. As I, as I started identifying those things and I started coordinating my magical practice towards things like that. So that I was like, I, here's my actionable real world behavior. And here's the intention and the magic that I'm putting into it too. And once I started aligning that, like that's when I could really see magic work, not just in like, Oh, I did this and it might be the hard work I did, or it could be the magic. It wasn't that it was, it was the fact that like, I would do this, get what I want. And then also like have synchronicities that you cannot confuse the fact that they went together. You know what I mean? And so I guess like now the way that I use magic is so different and definitely like not what I, it's not what I learned when I began, but it's what I understand from having go through, gone through everything, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I think most people go through that as well. You start out with an idea of what it is and then that gets turned on its head and you go, oh no, yeah. I was wrong. <laughs> this is what it is. And then that yeah. happened again at some point as well. You go, oh, I was wrong again. And that's mm-hmm. part of being a witch, I think, being able to yeah. learn new things and see things from a different perspective. I think it's part of being a human. I mean, like, I don't know. Like, I think that there are plenty of humans who don't call themselves a witch that are also doing it. You know what I mean? And so like maybe their spell doesn't look the same as our spells look, but at the end of the day, like whatever they're doing, whatever ritual it is that they're using to hold themselves accountable to, if even if you're a muggle, it probably does have the same aspects that us casting the spell does, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, and I think it depends that energy building. 
yeah and in religion as well so mm-hmm. I often say that spell work is like spicy prayers when I'm trying to describe right. that to my Christian friends and they're like what do you mean you do a spell I'm like it's a spicy prayer right you're just adding a little bit of extra it's just doing the same yeah. thing in a different way so mm-hmm. yeah, we all we all definitely do the same sort of magic even if it looks totally different yep yeah I fully agree that with that Now, with your witchcraft, so coming into that um, whilst you were on the streets, did you find any accessibility issues? Did you find any roadblocks for you being someone who was without a home? Yeah. Into getting into the craft? Um, Yeah. So, I mean, I would go to bookstores and sit um, on the ground with a notebook and like, look up certain things and maybe find something and write it in my notebook. Um, basically stealing information, I guess. Like, I don't know. Like it was all I could do. And like, I didn't have access to libraries because I wasn't like, I didn't have a resident. So it wasn't like, Oh, I can go to the library. Cause when you're homeless in Dallas, Texas, you're like in Irving this week and you're in like Fort Worth that week and just all kinds of stuff. And the same thing when you're in like South Carolina in the middle of nowhere and you're homeless, like you don't have access to anything and you don't have a vehicle and you can't get around and public transportation is a thing. So yeah, like definitely being homeless in like, it definitely made it much harder to have access to all of that information, but also it gave me more access to the people that taught me from word of mouth. And I mean, I very much have a traditional like verbal um, lineage. I don't know what to call it. Like what I know about magic until I really started reading also like learning more on my own, like seeking it out to learn is all this oral kind of um, dictation of how things work or or what it is. Like, it's not like I spent a lot of time reading ever. I'm not the best read witch. I mean, like I've read a lot of fiction and I've read a lot of memoir, but I've never read a lot of like witchcraft books because it's easy to be in a shelter and they have books or it's easy to be in a treatment center and they have books or, you know, the mental hospital and there's books, but like, there's not witch books. Like you're not going to find a Llewellyn book at the like, hospital that you're suddenly having to stay in for three days because you tried to kill yourself like that's not a thing but you might find Augustine Burroughs so it was much easier to get regular literature than than witch literature and I think now that things are normal it's much easier to get witch literature and that's what I seek out like to listen to and read at this point mm-hmm and you met, you mentioned before that uh, there was some Catholicism or Christianity, I guess, aspects mm-hmm. in your life. Were you raised Christian? So I was raised Roman Catholic by my parents, um, and I wanted to be a priest until I was like 12. Can I just say that is that is very Sagittarius rising. That's when we're looking at careers, theology and like the priesthood, that sort of thing is very much yeah. associated with Sagittarius, so. Um, that's brilliant because there's a whole, I have a whole ramp that's about to happen again. I'm sorry. I do this to you, but, um, so yeah, I wanted to be a priest until I was like 12. And then I was like, Oh, I like boys. And I really wanted to like seduce one of the priests and tried and failed. (laughs) And then like kind of got called out at the next week's sermon without Mm -hmm. him being like directly like this child, blah, blah, you know, but like, it was very clear. I used to walk to church by myself on Sunday morning when I was like 12 years old. Like that's how into it I was. I was Mm. very into it and I really wanted to be a priest. And then, and then I found out that they didn't like me because of who I loved. And I was like, well, I don't even really know who I am, but I know enough right now at 12, 13 years old to know like, how very gay I was um no matter how much I tried to like fight that growing up or like push back against it I I knew who I was and I knew what I loved and it was very clear that the church was not cool with that and that was heartbreaking Mm -hmm. and traumatizing (laughs) like traumatizing because all of a sudden this thing that 
I love and that I put all this energy into it. Like they're all telling me that the dogma says that it doesn't love me back. Mm-hmm. And so that was devastating. And, um, that's when I had a witch who was like, this is me and my mom and this is what we do. And I'm like, Oh, cool. Like let's hang out. And it was also like this really traumatizing point in my life where I was going through a lot of physical abuse. So like, I'd be there a lot and I was learning that instead. And it was all very accepting of who I was and, and, and me being me, even for being in the nineties, you know, like nineties, witchcraft does not look the way that 2021 witchcraft looks at all. And I think that's wonderful because there's so many more people who are like, oh, well, you know, we have to, we have to be more accepting of all of these things and not just like only this thing or that thing. And so, um, but it was present then too. And so I was like, okay, cool. This is the realm where I can be accepted. So, you know, fast, fast forward to all of this stuff that happens in life with like being homeless and treatment centers and blah, 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 and meeting tons of people. And then I'm in Dallas and I'm homeless and these Christians are like, well, we can help you. And I'm like, well, I would like some help. And I'm pretty lost right now. Just like, like Dallas was the worst part of the homeless, but it was also like the part that I would not change one thing about, because it was so much fun and, um, like ridiculous levels of fun. Um, I was like 18, 19 and, um, I was in Dallas and these Christians were like, well, we can help you, but you can't be gay. And I'm like, oh, well, like maybe you can't help me then. And they're like, well, like you don't have to not be gay as long as you're not acting gay. Like as long as you're not having like gay sex or anything. I'm like, oh, well, I mean, I guess we can try that. And so I just lied. (laughs) And, you know, I'm like, that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm not having gay sex. Like, and you know, this is like 2000, this is, Mm. this is 1999 as a matter of fact, um, when, when I'm going through this and it's just this amazing time where the world could be ending because it's about to be 2000 and New Year's is getting closer and I'm lying to these Christians and then I get caught (laughs) and they're like, no, you didn't. And I'm like, okay, like I lied. I was like, I was trying to minister to these people and like get them to come to God. Like, I, cause I thought that's what they wanted me to do anyway. So, um, and bear in mind, I'm like 18, 19. So they like kicked me out. They're like, we're, le- we're, we're done with you. We're going to send you to Alabama to a Bible college. These people, like I went, I ended up in this place where these people would not let you eat if you sinned. So if I like, you know, I, I couldn't even give a good example. Like if, if I, if my, if my issue was that I'm gay, right. And I'm there and I'm spending too much time with a the guy. They're like, what are you doing over there? You need to separate yourselves. And it's like, wait, what? Like so I went through this, all this like conversion stuff. Yeah. I was going to say, weird. was this like a conversion therapy style Christian? The church yeah. that took me in. No, the church that took me in was conversion. was like, they were into it. They were like, we can convert you. We can make you not gay. And they prayed on me and they called the God, the fire of God on me and mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff. And I was like, yeah, it's working. And I could just, I could just tell that they wanted me to like fall out because they had people at their church that would fall out. And I'm like, I'm not going to fall out <laughs> like period. But like, I definitely faked the funk with them because I needed to survive. But like, yeah. I bought into it for a minute too. And I was like, okay, well maybe this is the only way that a deity, the deity, right? Like at that time in this like very young mind, I'm like, there's this deity and what if there isn't, or what if there's nothing else? And I don't know what's going on. So like, I didn't have the evolved understanding that I do of source you know what I mean? That I do now. So at the time I'm like, well, this is obviously the only thing. And like, this is the only way. So I definitely failed from that. And I was like, whatever, I have no spirituality, none whatsoever. And that doesn't work for a person like me. Cause I'm very much mm-hmm. in need of connecting, but let me backtrack for a second. While I was in the conversion church, that's what we'll call it. The conversion church. I went to this church every day, twice a week, Wednesday and Sunday, right? And I knew all the people that come to the church. And so one day I'm at church and this guy comes in and I, he's never been at church before. He's never been at this church. Like 
I've been there long enough to know a stranger has walked in our church and the whole time church is going on, he keeps turning and looking at me. Right. And I'm like, this guy wants to bang. I'm like, that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, all right, cool. Well, like that, this is weird. Like, how are we going to pull this one off? Like, I'm sure we can. So anyway, I'm like kind of irritated, but kind of intrigued and kind of like, this could be fun. Um, and so then at the end of church, he walks up to me and he was like, I'm really sorry. And I'm like, okay, why? He's like, cause I know I was staring at you. And he was like, God has a message for you. I'm like, Oh, okay, cool. Like you're one of those. But then he's like, yeah, right. But then he's like, you are like John the Baptist. You are here to herald forward a message. And I was like, and that was it. And then he was never there again. And I'm like, I am here to give a message. Like, this is what I've been saying since I was a little kid. Mm -hmm. Like, like I was eight years old when I'm like, oh, this is why I'm here. Like I've always loved Hermes because he's the messenger and all these things, right? And so, and that's kind of why I wanted to be a priest because I wanted to give the message of God. And then this guy is in this church telling me this. So anyway, fast forward past all of that into like this arrogant kind of atheist stage. And then listening to a lot of tool and getting really close to the idea of the infinity that I can't comprehend and, and understanding it. And then after like a lot of mushrooms and acid, I like put all this, like this whole idea together where I'm like, Oh, okay, cool. Like this is source and it literally exists in everything. And we all have a different access point, but it's the same thing. Just like we're all like, just because your prayer doesn't look like my spell doesn't mean that we're not both casting magic Mm -hmm. just the same way is that source is there. And so like, as a person who is here to deliver a message, I feel like that is one of the messages that I really am intended to get across to everyone very clearly to help them all kind of get on board. Because I think that's the first step toward like, we're messing up as humans. And until we like learn how to work like a field of mushrooms in symbosis with each other and like signaling to each other and living with the trees and everything too. Like once, once we as humans can learn how to do what we're really meant to do um, and be one entity, we're going to keep messing up. So I just feel like at some point somewhere in there might, it it could be super minor very, or it could be huge. Who knows? I I don't want to be like, crazy, but I also don't want to be too humble. Like, I do think that the, that part of the message that I'm here to give is to help people get there. And it could take years after the message is delivered and I'm dead and gone. And then people hear it and they're like, Oh, this is the message. (laughs) Like, I don't know, but, and I don't know what the whole message is either, but I definitely feel like that's what I'm here to do. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like it's the whole point. Yeah. Yeah. And I absolutely agree as well with the whole idea of source being this overarching energy. I mean, that's my personal belief as well. Uh, It's a very sort of hermetic idea as well, which is, Mm -hmm. if you're interested in that, I absolutely recommend reading something like the Kybalion hermetic Mm -hmm. philosophy is very intriguing. Uh, But yes, totally on board and agree with that. Now, I do have another question in terms of witchcraft. So for anyone else who is coming into witchcraft, maybe they're newer to it or they've been dabbling for a while. Anyone that has a history of trauma, abuse, mental illness, is there anything that you would say they have to be wary of when practicing witchcraft? Uh, I mean, no, I don't. I honestly like I believe that when practicing witchcraft, you should go out and make all the mistakes. Like, seriously, go out and do it. Like, make the mistakes, learn from them, understand why you have to follow the rules because then you can learn how to break them. But, like, in terms of dealing from trauma using witchcraft, like, I don't, I don't think that witchcraft is going to heal trauma. I think that you can use aspects of witchcraft, use, like, certain spells and magics to help you get to places where you can help heal yourself from trauma or go through the the process. But I don't think any of that is done just by doing magic. I think that just like everything, magic helps, right? And so there is magic that I wish I had known that I could have used and understandings that I wish I had known when I went through everything that I could have used then to like pull myself out. So I would say like any witch who's like new to the practice, 
there are like three really big things that you should stay focused on. And is that, and that is intentions and how they work wisdom and gaining as much as you can from as many sources as you can. And, um, your intuition, like learning to listen to yourself. I think that those three things lead you into witchcraft. I think that you can't, you can't have witchcraft without that. And also empowerment. Like you have to be self-empowered in order to do anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So. And do you have any advice for anyone that might be going through a tough time mentally, spiritually, or physically right now? Yeah. I, I seek help. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it's super simple because there is help out there for anyone who is seeking it and it might be hard to find, but like it's there. Um, in my book, I put a lot of like different hotlines and stuff in, in the, uh, I think they're in the front and the back, um, of the book just so that people have access to hotline numbers. So like anywhere in the world, they have things, they have something set up to help with suicide prevention or like trauma. And if they don't find a friend, find like, I mean, seek help. Professional help is always best, but seek any help that you can, Mm -hmm. because that's, that's how you move forward. Like you can't do it. Sometimes you can't do it on your own. And if you feel that way, then you can't, and you should go find someone to to do it with you. Yeah. And hopefully not someone that has, um, I guess, rules around if they'll help you like the church. (laughs) We'll help you if. Well, (laughs) listen, you know what? No, I don't think that's true. I think that like, even if that's the case, if it's going to get you out of, out of the situation that you're in, go for it. I believe that everything is rung on a ladder and however many people you have to step on to climb your ladder, that's necessary. If they're, if they have rules that are like ridiculous, then like go ahead and play the game. But Mm -hmm. like who puts rules on helping people? You deserve for me to step on your back. Like you deserve for me to clean my feet off as I climb off of you. It seems like the most unchristian thing. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, and it's not even like, I I can't say that I experienced it ever out in the witchcraft world, but like, I don't know, just everywhere, just in every way, in every community, there are shitty people. And if those shitty people can be a stepping stone, because you go through the world doing what you do, right? And, and you need to like, step up to your next level. Like people are there for that. And if they're shitty, something shitty will come to them. And if they're great, something great will come from it, right? Because like, I believe that as much as every human and and interaction that I have in the world is a rung on a ladder for me to climb up on, I am also a rung on other people's ladders too. And so when you take that on and you're like, okay, I acknowledge this, it's symbiotic. Like I'm moving forward. And if I'm able to then pull you up too, because now- the rung that I am that you need to step on is up higher and you got it, you know, like, I don't know, that metaphor got off a little <laughs> bit, but you know what I'm it. saying? Mm-hmm. Like, like, I just, I believe that everyone is here to help each other. And like, maybe I'm not here to help you, but somebody else is here to help you just as mm-hmm. much as somebody else is here to help me. But ultimately at some point we can all help each other. It's just about being the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to note as well, just as a side note, if there is anyone listening that is going through a really tough time, I'm going to put a couple of links in the bottom of the description box just for places that you can call. Like, for example, in Australia, we have Beyond Blue and I'll chat with Finn as well afterwards and get some of the US ones that we can add in as well, just to make sure that everyone knows that they can go somewhere to chat about anything that they're going through and get help when they need it. Cool. Um, Now, lastly, I wanted to just ask with your book, uh, how witchcraft saved your life. What is it that you're most wanting readers to take away from this book when they read it? Um, I think that that's like three things. I think that the first thing I want everyone to know is that they're not alone. Like if they're in a situation, um, they're not the only ones who are experiencing it or who ever have experienced it. A lot of people since I've, since the book has been out have written reached out to me and they're like, oh, I had these similar situations and experiences. 
And it's very reaffirming to know that I wasn't alone at those times, even though I know, like, it's very nice to hear that. And so that's the number one message is you're not alone. But I think also I want people to know that there is magic in them already and that they can access it. It's just like the understanding of foundation and principle kind of like pillars. And then the third thing that I think is really important for people to know is that like you should go out and like fuck up sometimes often as a matter of fact, because if you fuck it up, you are going to come out of it smarter and better. And there's a lesson. And if you don't learn the lesson, then you're going to go out and fuck it up again until you do learn the lesson. Right. But then ultimately like the lesson gets learned. And so it's okay if you were like a sex worker or a drug addict or, you know, uh, homeless or whatever, right? Like whatever you were, if you're working toward not being that, if you feel like you need to work toward not being that, right? Because if you are good with who you are and you're in one of those situations, like that's fine too. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not here to tell you to change that. But like, if you want out, if you want to find a way, like there is a way out. And um, it's through your own self-empowerment. Mm-hmm. Beautiful message. I love that. Now, where can people find you online? Where is the best place to connect with you? Uh, the number one place to connect with me is on Instagram because everything I do is from my Instagram. So like, um, it's just Vincent underscore Higginbotham, um, H-I-G-G-I-N. B-O-T-H-A-M because I like to just make sure I spell that out, but it's definitely Vincent underscore Higginbotham. I imagine you'll put it in notes um, at Instagram because everything I do, like I have link trees and bios and everything. I use Twitter to like see what's happening in the world, but not really to like announce what's happening in my world. So I'm just kind of a creepy stalker on Twitter and Facebook is very much like meant for my family and friends and people have filtered through that. And I'm like trying to be patient with that. But I mean, it very much is not what I'm there for. Like all of my interactions with people happens on Instagram because um, that's where it's at right now. And I like to make reels and, and, you know, be active over there. So people can find me there. Fantastic. And then mm -hmm, follow the rabbit hole down into me, into everything that I have going on. (laughs) And you're also over on the Witch With Me books as well. So I'll make sure those links are in the description. Yeah, Witch With Books. Um, I I post over on Witch With Books regularly and I run the book club over there. So I can definitely be found there. Mm -hmm. Um, Fantastic. Yeah. All right. Now, if you'd like to book in uh, with me for a tarot or astrology reading, you can do so at suburbanwitchery.com. You'll also find me as Suburban Witchery on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. Again, all links will be in the description for this episode. Make sure you hit subscribe so you never miss one. And if you're able to leave a rating and review, especially over on Apple Podcasts, that would be phenomenal. That's how this podcast gets seen by more people and listened by those who need to hear it. Especially this episode, we really want it to get to the people that really need to be uplifted in there if they're in a place that is struggling so thank you once again vincent for joining me today and thank you everyone for listening thank you for having me